Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the pod. We've got Danny back on our show today to give us some update on the markets, financial markets, stocks and all. Danny, welcome back. Hey, Jazz. How are you? Really good. So where are we starting this from, Danny? Um, what, well, what probably, should we start with um, the, the mighty Fed over in the US? Because really, they're kind of leading everything at the moment. Of course, you've got, you know, still the geopolitical outfall or fallout, I should say, um, from Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. And that's causing supply chain problems. And clearly, we've now got more supply chain problems uh, with the lockdowns with COVID in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, the big game, uh, or the in, in the in the story, is the Fed, and the Fed raising interest rates, and the Fed starting quantitative tightening. And you're seeing this very much play out in the bond markets and in the and in the currency markets so we've we've seen a fed that has been behind the curve with inflation meaning that they were probably too relaxed about inflation they thought that it would be a transitional phenomena and now they're extremely concerned that it will become more embedded. And by embedded, that's all about people's inflationary expectations. So when people expect inflation to remain high, they bring all their purchases forward, um, as opposed to when they're expecting more disinflation or deflation, they wait for the sales. And whilst the Fed always wanted to achieve 2 to 3% inflation, because some inflation is good, for the economy and good for people, too much inflation is not good and too little inflation is not good. And at the moment, they're looking at way too much inflation that has been driven by the supply side predominantly. So that's been the pandemic with supply chain problems. And demand has kept up, shall we say, And they're now in a predicament because they're behind in terms of tightening. So we've only had a quarter basis point increase, okay? They're now talking about a more aggressive tightening stance. And the reason is they can't control supply, but they can control or try and control and impact demand in the US economy. And that gives a chance for supply to catch up. Mm-hmm. And once you start to alleviate supply chain problems, then the cost pressures can dissipate to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And so we've gone from, um, I'm just trying to remember, probably, you know, a whole year of quarter base, basis point rises, now looking at 50 basis point rises in May, June, possibly July. You've got Bullard. Um, one one of the members of the Federal Reserve Committee who is very hawkish, meaning he wants to go even more aggressively at a three-quarter interest, three-quarter percent interest rate rise. And the market is now factoring in um, a Fed funds rate of possibly as much as three to three and a quarter percent by the end of the year. So coming off zero, that's that's a lot of tightening. And what really probably is of equal significance is the Fed having been 
buying bonds, okay, so buying at the short end, buying mortgage-backed securities as part of quantitative easing, they've now finally finished that. They probably should have wrapped wrapped it up earlier. And now they're reversing that. So they're going to let their holdings of treasuries run off. So having been purchasing about $100 billion a month of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, they're now going to potentially look at running off $95 billion a month. And the bottom line of all of this is that you often hear people using the analogy of the tide coming in and it floats everything. This is the tide going out. And as the tide goes out, everything starts to lose that liquidity. And it's it's basically two-pronged. There is liquidity coming out of the system, and you've already seen that um, across many asset classes, um, particularly in the more risky end of the markets, so smaller cap companies, higher risk companies. I mean, the carnage in some stocks over in the US can't be understated. They're off 80% over the last few months, even Shopify which is a company that's not going to go under, is off about 67%. And then you've got the other factor is when you start to have higher interest rates, that affects valuations, it affects the economy. And so people are now economists, experts, citing that whilst the Federal Reserve wants to engineer what's called a soft landing, okay, so they slow economic growth down, The reason they're slowing it down is because they want to take the inflationary pressures out of the economy. So if you can kill demand, then supply can catch up. Uh, But the the problem with that is, is that you may, or usually it's very hard to engineer a soft landing, which means you don't go into recession. And some people are definitely talking about the fact that at this time in this cycle, the Federal Reserve is tightening at a much later part of the economic cycle than normally. So there's already signs that the US economy is weaker and also the stock markets are already in correction mode, particularly for the likes of the NASDAQ. So there's two factors or even three. You've got quantitative tightening, liquidity coming out of the system. You've got economic growth potentially slowing, which will affect earnings growth for some companies. But you've also got then the impact of higher interest rates on the valuations of companies. So a lot of the technology companies um, have long-dated earnings, use a discounted cash flow to calculate the present value of the company, the earnings stream. If you raise the discount rate, the interest rate that you apply because it's a higher interest rate environment, you hire that, you raise that, well, then it will lower the present value of the company. So you've seen a valuation compression, okay, across many stocks, again, particularly in the NASDAQ end of the market, loss-making companies that, you know, were going to make money down the track. They had very high um Uh, costs and high spends. And that's why you have the sort of the train wreck that was Netflix last week. So Netflix, although it's become more cash flow positive as a company, it suddenly is not looking like it's growing. You know, it only generated 9% growth year on year, and it's starting to lose subscribers. And investors go, oh my gosh, 
and the same applies to Meta, Facebook, these companies can't be given the same high valuation if the earnings growth isn't there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's quite a few things going on. Um, I was, the, the people that I've been listening to this year is Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley over in the US. He's their, their strategist. He's been really on the mark. So he was saying that the US economy was um, much more evolved through the economic cycle and that you had to move away from uh, those loss-making tech stocks, that interest rates were going up and you wanted to be defensive. So you've seen the outperformance in defensive sectors. So you're talking consumer discretionary, you're talking utilities, you're talking healthcare that have been performing in the US. Um, the other side of the coin that's been performing, and we've seen this here in Australia, is the commodities side of the market, okay, because of uh, problems coming out of the Ukraine-Russia war. And you've seen spikes in both soft and hard commodities. So wheat, um, fertiliser prices, as well as the likes of oil, iron ore has been very strong. But if a cycle, typically what it'll move through, and this is what we saw on Friday in the US, is that as the market comes to terms, because it's kind of been a little bit in denial, so we had the big sell-off in January and February, then all the money came back into the markets in March, like nothing's wrong and where, you know, you buy the dip. And now in April, and April is typically a strong month for equities, now you've actually people got people going, oh, wow, the Fed is actually serious. They actually really are going to tighten aggressively and they're going to take liquidity out of the markets, maybe economic growth isn't as strong. And if economic growth is not as strong globally, then you're going to have softer materials, commodities, prices, okay, because demand is not as strong. And so if you call this like a rolling bear market, it started in high growth, it moves through housing sector stocks in the US, the bank stocks haven't been performing over there. And the reason is, is the bond yields. You've seen a flattening of the, of the bond curve, which basically means rates at the short end, two-year treasury bills are higher at some points over the 10-year long bond, which means the higher short-term rates cause the long end of the curve to come down because economic growth is, is slowing. So you've seen the bank stocks not performing in the US. And they are all indicating, um, you've seen transports roll over, that the economic growth there, the market is saying that growth is slowing. And the bottom line, um, Australia is a little bit different, but the bottom line is if you listen to people like Mike Wilson, the economist David Rosenberg, you can watch some of his videos on YouTube, um, my former strategist at Bearings, Michael Howell at Cross Border Capital, again, there is that if you follow these people on Twitter, you, you'll pick up information. They're all saying that you've got potentially another 10% downside in the S&P to around 3,800. And the reason is, is that, you know, the Federal Reserve is going to continue to push really hard to kill inflation. It's also political because um, it's not good for Biden, and not, although they're not meant to be, political, there is pressure to try and do something about inflation, which is really hurting the lower um, demographic 
um, you know, areas of society. Food, gas prices, housing costs, they've all gone through the roof. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's likely that you're going to continue to see a lot of market turbulence. You'll see these what we call dead cat bounces, like the rally that we saw overnight in the US. And clearly the market will be looking to these earnings results coming out of these quarterly earnings in the US as a guide to maybe not so much how things have been going, although they're definitely looking at that. They're looking to see if there's impact of costs, and there definitely is. Every, every company is saying costs have gone up for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll also be looking to see if demand's slowing and also looking at the outlook. And make no bones, if these companies disappoint, there is huge downside sell-offs to the stocks like we saw in Netflix Um, Tesla had the most amazing results, rallied 12% during the day. Markets start to sell off. It was up 3%. It's broadly where it is when it announced its results after the market close on Thursday. And that's a company that is handling the cost increases and is growing strongly. So this week we've got um, results coming out of Apple and Amazon and Facebook. So the market's going to be really, really looking for those big tech numbers to hold up. And if big tech can't hold up, can't hold the market up. So to give you an idea, Apple's down 9% this year, Amazon's off 13%, Google's 17%, and Microsoft 18%, um, Facebook's off um, 45%. So the likes of Apple and Amazon, if they start to crack and Google and uh, Microsoft, they represent such a large proportion of the S&P, then the market won't hold up. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's pretty good coverage over there. Never got a chance to ask a question. But here's, the, here's, a, here's a question from me, Danny. So uh, is fair to say that Fed is stuck in a hard and rock place where on one hand, they're dealing with the inflation story. Last month's imprint was about 8.5% plus minus. Um, at the other end is the asset prices. If they start to increase the interest rates too much, the asset prices start to drop, which is the S&P 500, 10% correction that you're talking about. Um, so... If it's an asset worse inflation story for Fed, if it is, how do you see Fed maneuvering over the next few months? Are they going to stick to what they said or <laughs> um, it's just job owning at the moment we're talking? So there's everything I think going on. So there is job owning and there is, if, if you're interested in learning the difference between the financial economy and the real economy, I strongly recommend that you um, look at the work of Victor Schwetz and his blog posts are available. You can follow him on LinkedIn. And again, Michael Howell makes the same point. He did a podcast with George Noble on Twitter and George Noble used to work with, um, oh, I've just forgotten his name from Magellan, um, the guru, Peter, Peter Lynch. And so Mike Howell and Victor Schwetz go to great lengths to explain the difference between the financial economy and the real economy. And the financial economy now is arguably larger than the real economy. And that's what you're referring to when it comes to asset prices. You've had every, on balance, people's wealth is very highly geared to asset prices. Property, pensions, superannuation funds, their savings. The US US, uh, economy has about 
$49 trillion worth invested in equities. So if that starts to really crack at the seams, then it actually also impacts on the real economy because people feel less wealthy. So if property prices are falling, you're unlikely to increase your mortgage and use that money to go out and spend. You're probably going to rein in your spending. As far as the Fed's concerned, I'm only, you know, this is my view. This is, you know, the experts are basically saying that the Fed will keep on going until there are problems in the financial system, in the plumbing. Okay, so the whole concept of that Fed put, which I think you were alluding to, the Fed put comes into play because the markets stop working. And if the markets stop working, you get massive, massive problems because if the banks can't function properly, okay, then that's going to play into things like happened in the GFC runs on banks okay so they'll be looking at the credit markets the high the high, the, the difference between the junk bonds and the AAA rated bonds they're going to be looking at the repo market it's all stuff that's you know broadly above my pay scale but at the end of the day the fed wants the market to come down they're trying to talk down asset prices and get the euphoria out of the system there's too much risk taking That's what they want to happen. That's how I see it. And that's why Jerome Powell talked about Paul Volcker, the Federal Reserve Chairman who killed inflation in the 80s. He had two recessions to get rid of inflation. So they will continue to push as hard as they need to push to stop the irrational exuberance, to stop the speculation, and for people to basically probably feel less well off so they're not spending as much because they've got a dampened demand. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So they, it, 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 they will, they, David Rosenberg and Mike Howell both feel that they won't end up going as hard as what's being said at the moment because the system can't take it. It's got too much debt. So the global system has around, Mike Carl was saying, $300 trillion in debt, of which 50 to $60 trillion needs to be refinanced each year, okay? If you can't refinance that because it gets too expensive or the demand isn't there, then you start to see corporate collapses and this, that and the other. So I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, if they can get things to slow down, without having to hike as much and probably what you call the neutral rate, it won't even get to 3%. And I think you'll see more raisings. For example, Carvana last week, they they wrap themselves up as a technology company, but basically it's like they put large vending machines around the US which have used cars in them and it's an online platform and you can get your used car and it's delivered to this tower that has a lift that moves the cars up and down. And it's, 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 they raised $4 billion in equity last week because they're loss-making and they realise that, oh, we need to get this away now, otherwise we may cease to exist. So I think you're going to see more companies raising funds. CSL's just done a massive uh, raising. Mineral Resources is raising a billion today. I think companies are aware that now is the time to go and grab some cash 
Um, even the good companies that don't necessarily need it, it's kind of just prudent. Um, so they the, the Fed may well not tighten as much as is currently being touted. But what I also was quite interested by what Mike Howe was talking about is that the Fed could be really weaponizing the US dollar at the moment. So I don't know if you've noticed how weak the Australian dollar is. It's back down under 72 cents. Wasn't that long ago before all the quote-unquote experts were talking about 80, you know, US cents again for the Aussie dollar? Complete reversal. Part of it's to do with iron ore prices having fallen. But I think potentially the stronger US dollar, and this is what Mike Howell is talking about, it puts a lot of pressure on China, okay? China has a peg with the US dollar, with the yuan. They also, um, you've seen huge weakness in the Japanese yen, okay? So the yuan um, yen exchange rate is really important to China. The more that America raises, gets a stronger US dollar, the harder it is for China to um, keep the peg, which they want to do. And you've got to remember that a lot of uh, countries, even the ones that are not aligned with the US, they still need the US dollar. The higher the US dollar, the harder it is for them in their economies, which is what happened in the emerging markets currency crisis because a lot of these countries either have companies that are financed in US dollars or they need US dollars to trade or they're importing stuff um, and it gets more expensive. So that was just his proposition is that he feels um, because the US can't go into direct military conflict with the likes of Russia and they know China is trying to more than stretch its wings, it's almost like the US is also strengthening its financial clout just to pull them back in again. But that's just a proposition that was put forward by Mike Howell. Mm -hmm. So knowing what's known uh, and assuming Fed is going to keep doing what they're, going, what they're, what they're saying, uh, you've already said that based on some of the research work by the analysts, Maybe S&P will be down another 10% from where it is currently or from the bottom that it saw uh, towards the start of the year. Oh, sorry. Uh, I think it was in February, actually. Um, what markets do you think or what sectors do you think will keep performing still regardless of the Fed's hawkish tone? I think, look, I think it's really hard because at the end of the day, these, these corrections become rolling, so they work through everything that's outperformed and then they start to sell it off. I think, as far as I can tell, no one's expecting a, a banking crisis, okay? So we're not expecting a GFC scenario. Most of, for as far as I can pick up, okay, okay, there's some really bearish people out there, but if we forget the really doomsters and the bearish people out there that are saying the end of the world is nigh, then... Most of them are saying that the secular bull market trend is going to come back. You would still look to be buying quality stocks, quality growth stocks that have earnings and either can do buybacks or dividends. Um, so companies such as Apple, like that would be one if it gets heavily sold off. 
you, you've got to be careful of some of the crowded trades um, in the oil stocks, by way of example. Once you see the 10-year the bonds starting to rally again, and already it started to come down a bit, some people think that you've had its, 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 its dash in terms of how high it'll go, then the market will start to rotate back into those, those sectors such as potentially the housing stocks, um, the quality ones, some of the likes of the good technology stocks. Banks are potentially going to still struggle, I think. Um, I'm not a big holder in banks except I own Macquarie and Morgan Stanley. Um, I do think healthcare should do really, really well, and that applies in Australia and the US. Healthcare really hasn't done that much in Australia. Like CSL has not been going anywhere, nor is ResMed. Um, they're great companies. Um, they've had some headwinds because of the pandemic, but you should see those starting to perform again. Um, and I think you've really just got to be a little bit more careful about the deeply cyclical stocks, um, some of them, um, particularly in the resources sector. So Morgan Stanley, for example, is still calling the likes of utilities in the US consumer discretionary. Mm. And really, if we can ignore sectors and just focus on quality companies that have strong balance sheets and earnings track records, do pay dividends or do buybacks, and the same would apply in Australia, I think. Um, uh, yeah, I was just looking at NASDAQ at the moment. I mean, if you look at it, it's what down roughly 20%. 24% plus minus. Uh, Is it as much as that? I thought it was about 20%. It's 24.5 right. to be precise. Uh, but if we were to see more correction in NASDAQ, or you know, let's say if we were to see more correction in S&P 500, that means there will, there's a possibility that there will be a larger correction in NASDAQ, more than 10%. Which means yeah, but that'll be that that'd be probably sitting in the big tech stocks. You've got a question, like the stocks that are off eighty um, percent and seventy percent in the US. Mm -hmm. If they're going to go off more, the market's telling you they're going bust. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be really careful going into those. I looked at Fubo TV the other day, and I couldn't quite believe it. It's four dollars something, and it was as high as thirty-two or thirty-five dollars. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to be really, really careful about going in there. Um, or like if, Zoom, which has dropped by what 83 percent or something. Yeah, I don't think they're going bust, but you've got to really question how much the likes of. Um, Microsoft is going to squeeze them mm -hmm. with their teams. And I think that's ultimately what they're trying to do. They're trying to get some of these players out of the market. So if you're going to bottom fish in those COVID stocks, just be a little bit careful what you're bottom fishing in mm -hmm. um, because clearly there's been a big bubble that's burst there. Mm -hmm. And my hunch is, is there's going to be a few car crashes and some of them mightn't make it. Mm -hmm. Because just because the Fed will look at the financial system as to whether or not it's going to seize up, stop functioning, the plumbing, it doesn't mean that companies won't go under in this cycle. I mean, EML payments today is off 30%. I mean, that's already fallen so much. That buy, that whole buy now, pay later state um, space is looking 
very, very precarious. That's not to say that Square won't make it, but you probably, you, you, if you go in and buy in those sectors, you really have to be confident that the company's either going to be taken over or it's going to make it. For me, there's too much risk into going into some of those. I prefer, for example, in the US, if I was buying, so this is only me, this is not a recommendation, but I'd be looking at buying stuff like Salesforce or Atlassian or um, uh, the likes of ServiceNow, um, CrowdStrike in the cybersecurity space. I own Palo Alto. That's been my preferred play and it's done really well. But I'd be buying those that have a great track record and have just got caught up, even Adobe, ADP, um, and what's the other one I'm trying to think of that competes with zero in the US? Um, just, name's just forgotten me. So, you know, for example, I'd be buying into another big sell-off. I'd be buying the likes of WiseTech. I'd be buying the likes of zero here. I wouldn't keep selling them at this stage. Like the companies, you know, I don't think are going to disappear. So I'd be looking more at that end of the market. I'd be looking at IDP education, for example. I'd be looking at Prometicus. <laughs> so really good quality stocks that have been hit because of macro and possibly a few question marks around slowing growth. Um, but I think really in this end of the cycle, you've got to stick with quality companies. I do think that the longer term um, secular trends in um, clean energy and all of that are stuff that you can also lo look at um, mm -hmm. buying into this type of pullback as well. Mm -hmm. So according to Danny, if there's any further, further pullback in tech stocks, uh, the blue chips are a buy. Basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it is the case of, um, it's hard to catch a falling knife, so you're probably better not trying to do that, but um, there probably will be some good opportunities. A lot of us have been sitting on a lot of cash, um, but cash has done very well. <laughs> Even if it's not earning anything, see, the thing about a bear market is those that win in the bear market are those that lose the least amount. Fair enough. Depends upon the investor, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, it's true. There's some. I have. I have a friend. She's been wiped out in high growth funds, well known ones. Oh yeah. If you look at if you look at likes of Ark and all. But not only Ark here in Australia, Caledonia. I mean, I don't want to name them all, but there are some very very big funds that have not done well. Mm -hmm. So, it. I'm. I'm deadly serious that if you didn't sell some of these companies, you will never, ever see that money back again because this, this time around the liquidity that was injected into the system was so great that you're, not, you're never probably going to see Zoom back at $450. It's just not going to happen or not probably in the next 10 years unless I'm missing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those pump and dump stories, isn't it, really? Or liquidity, if you want to call it yeah. Pump and dump story, <laughs> either way. Um, that's great, Danny. Uh, there's not a lot more that I have to ask. I think you've covered it pretty well anyways. Any wrap-up thoughts in general? Uh, 
No, it's just going to be really turbulent, I think, and it'll be across all asset classes. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, um, a lot of people are still very positive on gold. Um, if you do get a big drawdown, though, the gold financial products like the ETFs will probably be sold as well. Mm-hmm. But I think the, the Fed is really hoping that... Um, we're not going to have another one of those plumbing problems like we saw in March 2020. Um, Russia is an unknown still, whether Putin gets really frustrated and does something really stupid, but we can't invest waiting for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think China is probably going to be quite concerned about the state of their economy, but that's just my personal observation because they've got lots of problems at the moment. Interesting. This time you mentioned a little bit about commodities and precious metals, uh, gold in general, uh, that there's, there's a possibility that will lag higher. But here's a question for you. Be playing devil's advocate. I do agree with you, by the way, but playing devil's advocate, rising interest rate environment, tightening uh, liquidity. How does gold perform in that environment? Is it just a, a risk of bet that people will take? Yeah, it is is risk-off, but typically it should hold its value with higher real rates. So that's what it should do. But, you know, um, I'm not a a gold person, as you know, so I don't personally really go there. Um, But I do know that there are definitely commentators that would say everybody should have a little bit of gold in their portfolio. Yeah, that's, a, that's like, yeah, that's an old saying. Yeah. Ah, really good, Danny. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. And just everybody realize none of this is financial advice. Do your own homework. <laughs> <laughs> I just want, I just I just wanted to remind everyone that none of what I was said was direct recommendations. I'm just trying to help educate you about what the experts are saying. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. That's too late. I already pressed button on buying Apple, so <laughs> I'm screwed now. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny, Jazz. <laughs> uh, look, I appreciate your time. Um, thanks for jumping on. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk soon again, like always. Um, okay, Jazz. No problem. Thanks have, for having me. 